Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but I am a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say, I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing what He has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word portion for this program is about that cross collection as it evolved into a book, an inspirational book that matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book goes by the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. By Harvest House Publishing. Each week, we read one of the essays and contemplate the wider meaning of the Word of God. This week's essay is It Is Finished by K. Arthur. And we begin. It was a loud cry. Tadatsai! The earth shook. Rocks split open. The veil in the temple was rent, torn from top to bottom. Tombs came open. It is finished. The Lamb of God is slain. The debt of sin is paid in full for all mankind. In the roll of the book it was written, the fullness of time had at long last arrived. The Christ, Messiah, had come to do the will of God. The blood of bulls and goats sacrificed under the old covenant, the law, could never take away sins. That's why the Father had prepared a body for the Savior of the world. Power of the Most High overshadowed the Virgin Mary. The one conceived in her was the Son of God, born from above. And rightly so, because we are flesh and blood. Jesus himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now it was finished. The cry from Calvary's tree, Tedlatasait, signaled a new way was open so that we could come boldly to the throne of grace to walk where once only the high priest walked, right through the holy place into the holy of holies in the full assurance of faith. 
hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water, could now enter his presence, for they were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. With one suffering, with one offering, the offering of suffering, Jesus perfected for all time those who receive God's gift of salvation, making them holy and acceptable to God. Man's debt of sin was paid in full. Whether or not people choose to believe this, each person is now without excuse. God has provided each of us, men and women, an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the propitiation, the satisfaction for your sins and mine, for the sins of the whole world. Tetelatsai, it is finished. The word rang forth a message of joy, relief, freedom. Tetelatsai. In the perfect tense means it is finished, complete, a past, completed action with a present and ongoing result. In Jesus' day, this was the word written across every certificate of debt once it was paid in full. The certificate would then be displayed for public notice, nailed to the doorpost of the debtor's house so all could see and know that the man no longer lived under the constant weight of an unpaid debt that would and could make him another man's slave. Oh, beloved, do you see it? Ours was a debt we could never pay. For how could the unrighteous, those born as slaves in sin, ever hope to attain a righteousness a righteousness that would satisfy a holy God. Our merciful creator understood our plight before he created Adam and Eve. He knew that we would believe the devil's lie. Yet, he coveted, covenanted, he made a covenant to do what was necessary to free us, the offspring of Adam, from Satan, who is the father of lies. When we were dead in our transgressions and the uncircumcision of our flesh, he made us alive together with Jesus and forgave all our transgressions. How? In the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Colossians, we read that God canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which were hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.14 This, beloved, is why Jesus cried, But do you believe it? Are you resting the rest of faith, knowing that the forgiveness of sins is all by grace? Lavish, extravagant grace? Grace that could never be earned or deserved? 
Grace, simply and freely bestowed at no cost, without any payment on your part. Grace, that could cover the depths of your sin as water covers the ocean's floor and still crests its shores. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Your call is simply to repent, to change your thinking, that there is something you can do, must do, should do, to make yourself acceptable to God. You can't. But Jesus alone could. And he did. It is finished. Your debt of sin is paid for in full. Now believe and live accordingly. This is salvation, eternal salvation, the abundant life that he promised to all who would hear his voice and believe. It is finished. End of essay. This essay has two associated parts. One is the image of the cross with the rainbow, the image that goes by the name the covenant. Beautiful uh, Sunday morning shot with the rainbow cutting across the cross. And a poem or a phrase by Robert M. McChenney which says, Satan hath found it out now that Christ has triumphed over him in his cross. Ah, then, brethren, Calvary is a wonder in hell. That concludes the essay portion. For today's devotional. Now allow me to contemplate further on what I took away from this essay. It is finished. What does it mean, it is finished? I had a different definition before I read this essay. I, like most people, hearing it is finished, think of completion, finality, and closure. Many relate this, it is finished, to the verse in John 19.30, which says, When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. However, I now see a broader picture. Jesus dying at that moment was not a conclusion, but a beginning. Many have commented on how our perspectives change through the lens of history, especially as Good Friday was nothing but. It was not good for the disciples that afternoon and that weekend. And yet, upon rising from the dead, 
Jesus also resurrected the hope of his followers. Hope spread as the news of his resurrection spread through the faith of many, even the famous Doubting Thomas. Their faith was solidified as they witnessed the risen Lord with their own eyes. And yet, after 40 days, what happened? You know, Jesus left them again. This time, ascending into the heavens. In a sense, this was another it is finished moment. We can only assume, as the history of human nature suggests, that the new resolve of the disciples waned and weakened for many of them over the days, weeks, and years and decades after Jesus' ascension. The good news of the gospel is that the Trinity, or the power of the triunity, overcomes human nature. Especially because, just before he ascended, Jesus said he would leave a helper, a counselor, and comforter, the Holy Spirit. The point of today's devotional is sometimes we as Christians can miss the most simplest truth, or truths, plural, as it sits right under our nose. I would like to consider a root word for the phrase Jesus uttered at his passing when he said, it is finished, and that is, and forgive me for the pronunciation, consumatum est, or it is to consume. What is consumed, finished, and at the same time, perpetuated, like fruit that falls into the soil and gets consumed, but the seeds that remain bring forth new life. Another analogy here would be the bridegroom being made available for his bride in the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.7. What I'd like you to consider is that Jesus is actually the Omega and the Alpha, the ending and then the beginning. Let's consider the bridegroom and bridegroom and groom relationship. In this analogy, a girl changes states or phase states of her human existence before marriage. What do I mean? Well, let me qualify up front in that I do not suggest we go back to that era of mankind, even though it is still the way in many cultures around the globe. But for millennia, the average age of a girl married was about 15. The Latin community have quinceañeras for 15-year-olds, and uh, the Jewish traditions for bat mitzvah and bat mitzvahs are around 13, meaning that was when they were presented to the society in that region as being available for marriage. And yes, I can hear some of you getting concerned, but let me repeat, I'm not advocating for a return to that way. As we become way too civilized on many levels, and the introduc- as the introduction to the movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, puts it, 
We have become so civilized that we now need to sentence our children to 16 years or more of education just to be able to keep up and survive. Currently, in the U.S., the average age for a woman having her first child is 30 years old. So while we do have a, a big cushion or a lot of cushion for at least a green uh, or advocating to slide the average back, let's say, to the 20s, but no, not to the teens. But I digress. The point of this bridegroom analogy is this. At the time the scriptures were written, a girl quite literally had died before marriage. What do I mean? I mean that most of them had just entered puberty and there are radical changes to the body, not just external physicalities. But science has confirmed that when a human enters puberty, the rush of hormones in the brain and its effect on the way the brain works renders them essentially a new person. For those of you who have not raised adolescents, look it up. They really do think, talk, and act different. So the concept I'm trying to bring home is that, is that in those societies, the child died right, or right before the time of marriage. They became a new person entering into a new life. Likewise, when we become born again, we become a new person. The old person, like Jesus on the cross, can say, it is finished. My sin is behind me. That's the old person. right? The person entering death. They can say, it is finished. My sin is behind me. My old habits and ways of thinking and talking and acting are dead. I am a new person in Christ. That is an ending. With the omega power of Jesus, the process of dying to oneself is finished. Then, with the alpha power of Christ, you begin a new process and a new life as both individually and part of the church as his bridegroom. There are many other lessons we can learn about the divinity of the body and God's plan for marriage as an analogy of the core of the gospel. For example, for every couple to start a family. But that's for another day. For today, let's consider what we can learn from the finality of Jesus saying it is finished and then what we can learn from starting a new life in Christ. In a famous sermon, Charles Spurgeon wrote, I would have you attentively observe the singular clearness, power, and quickness of the Savior's mind in the last agonies of death. The Son of God has been made man. He has lived a perfect life, virtue, and total self-denial. He has been all that lifelong despised and rejected of men. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. At last he cries, it is finished. And he gives up the ghost. Hear it, Christians. Hear the shout of triumph as it rings today with all the freshness of force which it had 2,000 years ago. Hear it from the sacred word and from the Savior's lips. And may the Spirit of God open your ears that you may hear as the learned and understand what you hear. The cross of Christ and the Son of God incarnate. Then the whole is clear, so that he that runs may read, and a child may understand. Blessed Savior, in thee we see everything fulfilled, which God spoke of old by the prophets. In thee we discover everything carried out in substance, which God has set forth uh, in the dim midst of sacrificial smoke. Glory be unto thy name. It is finished. Everything is summed up in thee. And now, what does this mean for our new life? Well, Spurgeon continues, It needed nothing to complete the perfect virtue of life, but the entire obedience of death. He who would serve God must be willing not only to give all his soul and his strength while he lives, but he must stand prepared to resign life when it shall be for God's glory. Our perfect substitute put the last stroke upon his work by dying, and therefore he claims to be absolved from further death, for it is finished. Yes, glorious Lamb of God, it is finished. Thou hast been tempted in all points as we are, yet hast thou sinned in none? It was finished. The Savior meant that the satisfaction which he rendered to the justice of God was finished. The debt was now the last to the last farthing, or to the last penny, all discharged. The atonement and propitiation were made once for all and forever by the offering made in Jesus' body on the tree. God covenants on his part that he would give Christ to see the travail of his soul, that all who were given to him should have new hearts and right spirits, that they should be washed from sin and should enter into life through him. Christ's side of the covenant was this, Father, I do your will. I will pay the ransom to the last jot and tittle. I will give thee perfect obedience and complete satisfaction. Now, if this second part of the covenant had never been fulfilled, the first part would have been invalid. But when Jesus said, it is finished, then there was nothing left to be performed on his part. And now the covenant is all on one side. It is God's. I will, and they shall. A new heart I will give you, and a right spirit I will put within you. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your iniquities I will cleanse you. I will lead you by a way that you know not. I surely bring them in. The covenant that day was ratified when Christ said, It is finished. 
His father was honored, and divine justice was fully displayed. In other words, death, through death comes life. If an apple falls from the tree and dies, decomposing into the soil, the new life can begin again through the seeds it leaves behind. As my pastor used to say, anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in the seed. Have you died in Christ? You not only have a new life for yourself, but you now have the ability to share the gospel and help others to die to Christ, meaning to also live in Christ. And are you struggling in life? Allow me to encourage you to say it is finished and start a new life in Christ as well. And with that, I pray that God will keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program heard every week here on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, learn about how to fundraise through the Magi Cross products, or donate to the Magi Cross ministry, log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.